0: Good evening, everyone. Glad you're here. Invite you to open your Bibles to uh, the 19th chapter of Genesis. I was thinking today we're almost halfway through Genesis. 50 chapters, three months. We're getting close to the halfway mark. So uh, it's been a good study so far. I've enjoyed it. Hope you have as well. I appreciate the feedback, the questions, the comments, and all the other uh, uh, good things that have come as a result of our study together. Last week we studied 16, 17, and 18, as well as 15, and we ended with Abraham interceding for Sodom, and tonight we're going to turn our attention to the 19th chapter and spend time there. Chapter 22 is, without a doubt, probably one of the four most familiar chapters in all of the book of Genesis, Uh, arguably chapter 22 is one of the most familiar chapters. Uh, in all the Old Testament because of what happens with Isaac. So we're going to spend some time there, but at the same time, I didn't want to spend so much time on a section that we were readily familiar with that we neglect the sections that we may not be as familiar with. So we'll spend uh, time on 19, 20, 21 as well. Uh, 19 we're familiar with, but for other reasons, a little more infamous in chapter 19, So we're glad to have you here tonight thanks to everyone for being here in the auditorium thanks to everyone for being in the parking lot and thanks to everyone who's watching at home either live here on wednesday evening or the recorded version of this on our website Um, we're going to go ahead and begin with a word of prayer and then we'll uh, commence our study together our father our god our creator we thank you for the book of genesis this book of beginnings that teaches us about great men and women of old, about their triumphs and about their trials, about their faith and about their faithlessness, so that we can learn from them. We can uh, emulate their examples and more importantly, be like you. We pray your blessings on all those who are teaching tonight and all of us who are learning tonight, both young and old, in the children's classes as well as here in the adult class and father we thank you for this congregation for the leadership for the work that is done in so many different ways in ways that are sometimes seen but often not seen we pray your blessings on all of our members especially those who are mourning those who are grieving those who are experiencing medical challenges those who have upcoming procedures, and those who are recovering from procedures. Pray all these things as we ask you to bless us tonight, through Christ. Amen. 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 Okay, uh, well let's jump into the text and look at chapter 19. Uh, The first four words says, Now the two angels, at least in the New King James Version, which I'm reading from tonight, the two angels came to Sodom in the evening And Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. We could probably spend a good 15 minutes just on the first half of verse 1. We're going to spend maybe 90 seconds, to 120 seconds on it. Because um, one of the things that we can learn from this particular thing very early on, and an application before we get to the final applications, is that sin has this ugly way of getting uglier through time. So remember we are first introduced to the concept of Sodom uh, as a city all the way back in chapter 13, if I remember correctly, where it says that Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. I think that was chapter 13. I need to go back and check. Um, But, and a prelude to what we know would end up happening. We have the whole story They didn't have the whole story, but of course, we know that there's so many different lessons we learned there. Now, by the time you get to chapter 19, uh, where you have this depravity, where you have this given over to sinfulness, things have gone from bad to worse to worst, and they've done that in a relatively few number of years. Sometimes we talk about that we are just a generation away from ungodliness or people that don't know the truth or people that don't respect the truth. And that certainly was the case here in this city where people were given over to all kinds of forms of ungodliness. Now, on to the point that I said we could spend 15 minutes on. Um, it, I, I don't know the answer to it. I think I I think I have an opinion on it. Well, I know I have an opinion. But is Lot the good guy or is Lot the bad guy in verse 1? And what I mean by that is where it says Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. We know that in ancient cultures, in ancient cities, that when you come to the gate, that was kind of like the courthouse square. That was kind of where the guys were around the checkerboard and telling stories and swapping uh, war stories from what was going on years before and so he is some sort of a respected figure in the community. Is he there as the good guy trying to protect other people from being uh, abused in some way? Which it seems to kind of lend itself to that. When he says, here come my house, you do not want to be caught outside in dark, is what he's saying. Or has he given himself over, there's the flip side of the argument. has he given himself over to the culture of Sodom? Now he's just like everybody else. We know that there is something to be said about righteous law in the book of Luke. And so it seems to me that and, and the fact that he's wanting to protect these men who he perceives as men, of course we know them are the angels, uh, that he's protecting people coming in seems to suggest him as being the good guy. Uh I said Luke, but I meant 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 7, where he was called a righteous man. So let's go ahead then and read verse 4. Before they laid down the men of the city, the men of Sodom, both old and young, all the people from every quarter, surrounded the house, and they called to Lot and said to him, Where are the men who came to you tonight? Bring them out to us that we may know them carnally. So Lot went out to them through the doorway. Shut the door behind him and said, Please, my brethren, do not do so wickedly. So at this point, Lot is seemingly doing what is right. He's trying to protect these particular people. So he lot goes out to confer with the men. Uh, again, you could look at that as in, in two different lights. Either he's being courageous or he's being desperate. What does Lot then utter in the next statement? In in a short word, or two, or three. What's the next verse? Here's my daughter. Yeah, he says, do not do harm to these men, but here are my daughters. Uh, You may have them for your carnal pleasure. Um, How do we explain that sometimes I ask questions I know the answers to or at least I think I know the answers to sometimes I just pose questions just to see what we come up with but that's disturbing I mean I think we all agree that this is a very disturbing scene Uh, and for Lot to make that offer in verse 8 I have two daughters that have not known a man please uh, do to them as you wish only do nothing to these men since this is the reason they have come under the shadow of my roof thoughts on that? Uh, And if it's a a short comment just make it if it's something longer raise your hand and Mike will be happy to get your microphone I know I'm kind of it's a it's it's an this is an uncomfortable study This is not fun to study kind of reminds me of the the Dinah incident. that's going to come up later Um, That was recently studied in the kids classes, and I heard from a number of teachers. They were really struggling with How do we teach this and I'm like "I, I don't know they were they were mean and one of the little boys uh, asked, well, how, how are they mean? So, Okay, great. <laughs> Thoughts on, on this offer? All right, well, well, we'll let that stew for a few minutes. If you want to come back to that, we can. Um The thing that I thought of in terms of yet another application is we know 1 Corinthians 15.33 says we know that evil company corrupts good habits or good morals. So if, if nothing else, I wonder if Lot would have ever thought about making this kind of an offer had he not lived in the company of evil men and women who helped mold him in that evil thinking way. I don't know. Maybe he would have thought of that on his own. But the fact is, is he's surrounded by worldliness, by uh, lasciviousness. He's surrounded by all of this ugliness. Why didn't Lot say, you know what, Mrs. Lot, daughter one, daughter two, we are moving out. We are going to get someplace else. We're going to move ourselves physically away from this bad influence. But he, he chose not to. And that's typically the easier thing to do. We make excuses and we say, well, I'll I'll either live where I'm going to live physically or more generally in a thematic way or a figurative way we live somewhere. Um, I want to drop down to verse 12 and read 12 through 14. It says, the men said to lot, have you anyone else here, son-in-law, your sons, your daughters, and whomever you have in the city, take them out of this place. For we will destroy this place because the outcry against them has grown great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord has sent us to destroy it. And then verse 14. So Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law uh, who had married his daughters and said, Get up, get out of the place for the Lord will destroy this city. But to his sons-in-law he seemed to be joking. Anything there strike you? And, this, and you may already know the answer to it. You may know the answer for the question. But anything strike you in that verse? Guess what I'm thinking? This, this, this is that game we play sometimes. The thing that struck me was reference to sons-in-law, right? Because we know back in verse 8, Here are my daughters, they have not known a man, so they are not married. Uh, anybody reading from the ESV tonight? Okay. Uh, bonus points to David Tirado tonight. A thousand bonus points. Uh, in his verse 14 yes, here's verse 14, there's a different phrase is there not? yeah, and I think it might be in the New American Standard and I did not check the NIV but in the ESV it says who were to marry his daughters so uh, when it comes to this uh, the ESV says who were to marry so that may be one way of reconciling the language that is being used or maybe they were betrothed to these men Uh, And then the other possibility is that Lot has been in Sodom for a number of years. He hasn't been there for just a week or two. He's been there for quite some time uh, as Abraham is getting older, Sarah is getting older. They're all getting older through this progression of the story. And that is, um, in addition to who were to marry, one possibility is that there were other daughters who had been married. So it could be that as well. Yes, uh, over here to Patrick, Michael. Uh, And then we're going to continue in chapter 19 here in just a second. Yes, Mr. Patrick. So going back a little bit to uh, Law offering his daughters, I think it's a good example. Sometimes, especially when it comes to what the public will see, we kind of uh, choose one sin over the other and classify sins. So in this case, he was like, well, you know, don't hurt my guests, but here, just have my daughters, no baby, uh, which is a terrible thing. Excuse me, a terrible thing. Um, in, in today's world, a big example that comes to mind is Uh, you know, premarital sex, someone might say, oh, well, don't do that, but if you are going to do it, at least use protection, that way you don't get pregnant, and the baby is not the issue uh, in that, and the issue is the sin, and so I think sometimes we try to cover up sin with more sin that seems, quote-unquote, less bad, and in reality, all sin is equal. I like that. Uh, I I, I had not thought of it from that angle, the idea of one sin being different from another sin or one sin being more heinous than the other sin. Sin is sin is sin. And there will be people who do not go to heaven because of murder and all kinds of other horrible things, and people that don't go to heaven because they were just liars and gossips. Uh, And I say just, you understand my point that I'm making here is that we, as Patrick says, do clarify David Tirado over here as well. We do uh, classify those things. And that's such a really good observation. Thank you, Patrick, for saying that. Appreciate that. Uh, Mr. David Tirado. So, a question. Could it be where later on we see Abraham that has the belief that God will resurrect his son? He knows and we see it in the first few uh, verses where he recognized these men. Um, He knew that they were from the Lord and could it be that he had the faith that although he did Uh, extend the offer of his daughters he knew they would be protected at the end Hmm. you're talking about lot here right yes Okay. I don't know (laughs) how's that for an answer see teaching is easy you just say I don't know when someone asks you a question you just move on Uh, I don't know those that didn't hear maybe in the parking lot David was asking you know uh, we know that Abraham had faith that even Isaac could be raised from the dead is it presumable or possible that Lot had some faith, uh, even though Lot's faith probably is not measured up to Abraham's faith in terms of the, uh, measuring by standards, uh, is it possible that he knew that no harm would come to his daughters? I never thought of it from that way. So how's that for an answer? Fair enough. Fair enough, right? Okay. All right. Uh, let's go ahead into the last uh, half of chapter 19. Uh, We are familiar with what ends up happening to Sodom and Gomorrah if you haven't read ahead. Spoiler alert, uh, the cities do get destroyed by way of fire and brimstone. One thing before we get to that, because I do want to talk about the, the actual punishment that came their way, is a phrase in verse 16 where it says, And while Lot lingered... The men took hold of his hand, his wife's hand, and the hands of his two daughters, and the Lord being merciful to him, and they brought him out and sent him outside of the city. So first of all, there's this really beautiful image in this ugly picture of the angels grabbing hold of Lot by the hand, and his wife by the hand, and the daughters by the hands, holding it. So when people hold hands, it's either romantic or it's for protection. they hold in the hand of your child as you're crossing the street. Come on, we got to get going here. But the fact is, is Lot lingered, so Mrs. Lot gets the brunt of the uh, picture because of her turning back, which we'll talk about here in just a second or so. But was she the only one who seemed to have a attachment to the city? Probably not. Uh, again, Lot has been there now for a number of years. He's probably got friends there. Going back to the bargaining, where he goes 50, 45, 40, 30, 20, 10, the point that I made last week is that it's very possible, I think it was last week, that Lot's extended family uh, was inclusive of people over the 10, such that Lot would have had friends or potential family members uh, who were going to perish in the fire and brimstone. Uh, That being said, verse 24, uh, at least in the New King James and I think it's in most other uh, versions, it uses the, the verb rain It says the Lord rained fire I hadn't thought about this before but I was reading this a couple of days ago or last week and preparing for this but notice that raining fire in judgment that the last big judgment because of evil was rain and of course the floods opening up so, now we know that God has promised with the rainbow back in Genesis chapter 8 and 9 that he wasn't going to destroy the earth again in totality by water. And we know that Sodom and Gomorrah, that and Gomorrah, they were destroyed in a, in a uh, limited way in the sense that not the whole earth. But it's just interesting, the idea of God's raining down his judgment. Uh, God rains, R-E-I-G-N-S, and God rains, R-A-I-N-S. Just kind of think about that. As a way of, of approaching this, let's talk about uh, Lot's wife. Though um, we are told to remember Lot's wife, so we better remember Lot's wife. So there's been you know plenty of sermons, and the perfect title is "Remember Lot's Wife," or, or what do you want to remember about Lot? And all the different lessons that we learned. But let's just spend just a, a couple of minutes on that before we move on. Um, why did she look back? The Bible does not say. We can put two and two together and get four. I came up with two or three possible reasons. Well, let's pretend that we were writing a sermon together or that we were going to somehow teach someone about Lot's wife looking back. Why did she look back? And, and, there, and there's probably two, three, four, five answers. See what was happening. See what was happening. Perhaps just general curiosity. Now, she was told not to look back, Right. Along with Lot and, and the two daughters, right? So they were told not to look back. So she looked back, perhaps out of just curiosity to what was going on. Other Missing thoughts? Missing what she left. Missing what she left. Maybe she was so uh, attached to the worldly lifestyle, maybe she that had rubbed off on her. Maybe she's like, oh, I'm going to miss that lifestyle of the rich and famous, you know, and the carnally minded. Maybe she got into that somehow. I don't know. We don't know for sure. Um, Curiosity, I put up there another thing is maybe she didn't fully trust God. Maybe she didn't really believe him. Uh, Maybe she wasn't as familiar uh, with the story of God and the flood and all of the things that had transpired earlier. Which leads us to a third possibility. I I hadn't thought of this until a couple of years ago and someone pointed it out. That maybe Lot's wife... Was originally from Sodom. If Lot's going to go and move to Sodom, we don't read about his wife until later in the story, uh, if he's going to pitch his tent towards Sodom, move into the city, then be an elder at the gate, and again, that can be a positive or a negative, as we talked about in the introduction, uh, would we put it past him to marry uh, someone who is from the city? Maybe that's the case as well. Um, Lastly, here in chapter 19, um, is the descendants of Lot. It's always good to know where people come from. It's good to know our history. Um, who, what two groups of people come from? The descendants of Lot. Moabites, Moabites and the Ammonites. Ammonites, right? So that's the second point that I put up here. We'll come back to this point here. But the Moabites and the Ammonites... Uh, Who was the father of those children? Who is the father of Bonami and Law, right? So this should be a case for those of you that wanted to figure this out where one is a grandfather and a father at the same time, right? Did that work out? Kind of in a way? Uh, You get my point in that we have, again, perversion, this time on the part of the daughters. The irony is this. Remember what um, Lot had offered to the men outside of the house? Here, take my daughters, and and, and we're fortunate that we don't have children, and abuse them. Now what ends up happening? They turn around and abuse him. So, I mean, just think about Genesis has a lot of ugly stuff in it. Uh, Things that are uncomfortable to read. And that go back to that very first point that I made, and probably the biggest application of our entire study tonight, and that is sin has a way of influencing us in big, ugly ways beyond our, beyond our comprehension. Okay, all right, let's go ahead, and I'll we, well, try to save some time for comments at the, at the very end, but I want to get into chapter 20, and, and, and uh, Brian talked about chapter 12 uh, a few weeks ago when I was gone. Uh, and chapter 20 is where Abraham comes and he says regarding Sarah his wife uh, he says Abraham or is it, Abraham said to, said of Sarah his wife she is my sister and Abimelech king of Gerar or Gerar sent and took Sarah uh, this is probably unfair because I wouldn't have known this had I not looked it up or Uh, But how many years have passed between chapter 12 and the events of chapter 20? By my calculation, it's 25 years here, right? So two and a half decades have passed. Uh, We're getting close to Abraham and uh, having a son, which we'll talk about uh, tonight in just a minute or two. One of the interesting things about this is in protecting Abraham and saying, you cannot do that. Do you not know? Verse 7, Abraham, restore the man's wife, for he is a prophet. This is the first time the word prophet is used in the Bible. And, you know, if I would, someone were would to say, when's the first time the word prophet is used? I would probably guess Isaiah or Jeremiah or somewhere in, in a prophetic book, right? But uh, Abraham is referred to by the Holy Spirit as a prophet on this particular occasion. And then note if you would, and I know we're going through chapter 20 very quickly here, note if you would that there's some irony here. uh, Who reprimands whom at the end of chapter 20? Uh, The the king uh, here uh, is reprimanding Abraham. So a non-godly pagan leader is looking at a godly leader and saying, shame on you. Why did you do this to me? So I think we're familiar with chapter 12 and what happened with him lying. Uh, Abraham does do something very childish in chapter 20. Remember where he says, uh, uh, "Michael uh, Nathan's up here." Uh, remember where he said, "Well, she really is my sister." Remember where he said that, and that was true because they were they were half sisters. But it's like it, someone called that childish. Well, it really is true what I said. Yeah, brother, really go to. Now, one thing that sort of stands out to me is the is Bimelech being a pagan king, as you just referred, um, God spoke to him. And, yeah. And, you know, and, and I think our, our standard of thinking is, well, God only speaks to his people. Absolutely. And in this instance, we have that example that I'm glad he that. spoke to one who we would consider not his people you know, on behalf of his people. You know, he he spoke to them on behalf of Abraham to to save Abraham, you know, in that sense, or at Mm -hmm. least it's a perception given. Yeah, Uh, I've done a study before, heard a study before, I may have done a sermon on it at some point. Uh, The idea of, of the gospel message in the Old Testament. The gospel, the idea of the good news to all people, Jew and Greek. And that is a very New Testament concept. Except we get certain glimpses throughout the Old Testament where God either speaks to or uses non-Hebrews, non-Jews, non-Israelites, and he uses them for various purposes to get his job done. Um, you know, you have probably the most famous example of that is, uh, well, one of the most famous examples is Rahab, a, who was not only instrumental in protecting God's people— but also has the, um, uh, her name recorded in the lineage of Christ himself. So I think that's something to be said for God interacting with these outsiders, so to speak. Okay? All right. Uh, let's go ahead and move to chapters 21 and 22 for the final uh, 20 minutes of our study together. Because we do want to spend time in, in 21, I mean, in 22. But 21 is important as well, they're all important. Someone said, What's your favorite book in the Bible? It's hard to say because that that means the others aren't your favorite. No, I like them all. Uh, But 21 is important as much as this 22. Uh, This is the birth of Isaac. Uh, The birth of Isaac was predicted, you remember, in 17 and predicted in 18. So now is the fulfillment. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, the Lord did for Sarah as he had spoken. For Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age. At the set time in which God has spoken to him, Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him. There's that parenthetical phrase. Whom Sarah bore, not Hagar, but whom Sarah bore, called his name Isaac. Um, We talked about the meaning of the name Isaac. Um, We're going to talk about that here in just a second. How old was Abraham at this point? He's 100 years old at, at this point, right? So, um... And at this point, people are living to around what? 120 is the cutoff, right? Give or take. Uh, a few years. Uh, kind of a double meaning with the idea of Isaac in laughter. We know that his name means laughter or, or joyous laughing or some sort of laughing. Or we talk more about laughing when Ishmael laughs or scoffs, depending on the version you're reading from in verse 9. But... Remember that Abraham laughed at the notion. Sarah, last week, famously laughed at the notion, and God encountered her and said, Why are you laughing? She said, I'm not laughing. He said, Yes, you are. He said, I'm not. And that went on for a second or two. And uh, now, they very well may be laughing in a joyous way. I mean, they've waited all this time for this to happen. And especially this is the case for uh, Sarah, Uh, because this is her first child it's not Abraham's first biological child at this particular point let's go down to verse 8 the child grew and was weaned Uh, most estimates put that at around somewhere between the second and third year and Abraham made a great feast on the same day that Isaac was weaned Uh, came across this just yesterday or the day before Um, that ancient cultures would have, we we celebrate every birthday, but when you get to the weaning date, when the child is able to basically feed, not feed for himself, but does not need his mother as, as, as much as he would otherwise for food or for sustenance, that cultures would have a celebration because now you're at a point where the child is probably gonna live because child mortality issues were big even in the first year or two or three. But once you get to three years old, we made it. The child's going to live. So let's have some sort of a celebration. Maybe that's what was going on. Maybe not. Sarah saw the son of Hagar. Notice that the Holy Spirit doesn't even call his name out. Uh, We know what his name is. His name is Ishmael. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, this outsider, this animus woman, whom she had borne to Abraham, scoffing. Anybody have something different than scoffing? Laughing? laughing. So the word there seems to indicate laughing. Uh, and the again, Genesis is in many ways a book of ironies uh, where it says that Ishmael scoffs. Was he, uh, he probably was laughing at something. Uh, or was he literally, and I this I've never thought of, he was isaac because he was laughing. So um, he was scoffing. Why did he scoff? Uh, And and again, the Bible just kind of gives us a a little picture. We can probably put a couple things together and draw some conclusions. But what do you think his, what was the big deal? By the way, how old is Ishmael at this point? Actually, I don't think we know for sure. But estimates are, anybody have, have a footnote in your Bible? I'll give you my footnote. Someone said 14 I have between 13 and 17. so let's say that he's he's a young mid teenager so he probably is somewhere in the in the 14year in the uh, ballpark and everyone knows that 14 year olds are at the height of their maturity and you know they never make any sort of you know, we can say that without them being in the room you get away with that um, so they have some maturity issues what's it mean that he scoffed or laughed what was he what's he doing? Making fun of him in the Spanish version. Okay, I like that. Yeah. You know, maybe he's making fun of the fact that, oh, look, he's finally three years old. A big deal now. Look at me, I'm 14. I don't know, maybe he's doing that thing. Um, some have suggested that it went deeper, that he was playing the role of the heir. Uh, I don't know if that's the case or not. If he was, that's going to get Sarah very upset very quickly. That he's taking on this role of, well, I'm the firstborn son technically in this family, not this laughing child over here. I'm the one that really came first. I'm, I'm 12 years older, 11 years older, however much older he was at this particular point. Um, and so Sarah gets upset. And what does Sarah do? Not the first time she's got upset. What does she do here? Tells everything to drive her out. Drive her out. Banish that woman. Get her out of here. I don't want her anymore. Who is bothered by this? Abraham is bothered by this. Abraham is like, it's like it. Basically says why in in, in twenty twenty. Well, did you say twenty twenty? He's saying why are you being so mean, so unreasonable? So uh, this is just not very kind of you. Uh, some have suggested. And I thought this was kind of interesting because there's so many deep ways of looking at Genesis and applying it in different ways is that maybe by saying we've got to get Hagar out of here and we've got to get Ishmael out of here that essentially this is evidence that Sarah believes that Isaac is the one. We have no reason to not believe that she believes that Isaac is the answer to the Messianic line if she understands the Messianic line. I'm not sure she understands all. But the idea of Genesis chapter 12, 15, and 17, and the covenant relationship that God had with, with Abraham, that uh, so the notion of all nations being blessed, she knows full well it's not Ishmael. It's not Habar. that So just get them out of the scene. I have just a thought. Uh, real quickly here in 21, because I want us to get to 22 and do spend you know, seven or eight minutes on that. Uh, we get to Abraham and Abimelech in chapter 21, down in about verse 22, and they have an argument, uh, dispute, um, disagreement over what? Over what thing? Over a will. Uh, So, and why would that be so important? Well, uh, Abraham by this point is 100 years old. He's got a lot of money. And his money is in the form of four-legged animals. And so having a well is very important. So uh, this is not the first time that herdsmen have disagreed over these issues, right? So here's yet another disagreement. Uh, and so they basically come up with some sort of a covenant or some sort of an agreement. And where does that agreement take place in chapter 21, late? It starts with a B. Beersheba. It happens in Beersheba, which incidentally... Uh, is the first reference to the well at Beersheba is in verse 14. And Beersheba will be referenced 10 times in Genesis. Here's the first of 10 times. Uh, It'll it'll figure big in chapter 26. It'll figure big in chapter 46, uh, where Jacob is going to go to that spot, where in chapter 26, Isaac is going to go to that spot. So just kind of put Beersheba up in the corner of your brain somewhere, um, and just remember that. We'll come back and deal with that uh, either next week or the week after. Uh, Anything uh, else on 21 before we spend our final seven minutes on 22? All right, so 22 is, without a doubt, the most uh, uh, familiar, but yet I, I didn't want us just to skip it and not study it. Uh, but I want us to view the text by focusing on the text, the order in which it's written, and look at it from a foreshadowing point of view. You may have done this before in exercises. This, uh, sometimes in a Lord's Supper talk, someone will go to Genesis 22. And you could make some applications about uh, the Lord's Supper from Genesis 22 and the sacrifice of Jesus. Uh, it, this is a chapter that is... Uh, it lends itself to, to, to a sermon. It lends itself to applications. One of the things that jumps out to me uh, in verses 1 and 2, uh, God tested Abraham. We know that testing is different than tempting. We know that Job was tested. Uh, but we know that, let it not be said, that uh, a man is tempted by God, for God does not tempt any man, Right? Uh, and Abraham says, Here I am. He says, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering on the mountains of which I shall tell you. And Abraham rose early in the morning, sat on his donkey, and prepared to do what God had asked him to do. I, I paraphrased the last part there. Um, God anticipates every objection or conceivable argument that Abraham could come up with. It's like God says, I know he's your son. Yeah, I know he's your only son. By the way, I always wondered what Ishmael would have thought when he read Genesis 22. Like, not me. But we know that's not part of this. Uh, Take your son. I know you love him. I know you don't want anything bad to happen. I know you've waited for um, for 10 decades to have your child, um, and there's no reference to Sarah at this time, so what Sarah knew, when Sarah knew, and how Sarah knew it is not recorded in scripture. Um, go to where to do this? Go to land of Moriah. And there is some skepticism about this, but I thought it was interesting that some suggest that Moriah was uh, the future site of the temple. If it was, it makes for a really nice picture, the idea of going to a place where worship is going to happen uh, in the temple. But either place, it was someplace of significance. Who carries the wood? Isaac does. So here you have the son of a faithful father carrying the wood. Um, And how old is Isaac at this point? Again, we don't know, but do you have footnotes or previous studies? Estimates put him as a teenager, um, mid to late teenager. So we'll just split the difference and call it 15-16. So, and he's, he's carrying the wood For his 100-year-old, as one uh, person wrote, geriatric father. And what does Isaac not do? He doesn't refuse. I mean, if someone's going to tie me down or take a knife to me, I'm going to fight back. Because that's the normal human reaction. That's the way that we would respond. Um, But Isaac doesn't do that. So the picture here is really spectacular. Uh, I want to go back to the text here and go back to a point that I made, I think it was last week. Abraham stretched out his hand, verse 10, took the knife to slay his son, and it says, But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he says. Do not lay your hand on the ladder or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So, uh, who stops him? The angel of the Lord. Last week we uh, posed who the angel of the Lord was. Uh, some of you asked me who I thought that it was. Uh, I do think it is. Uh, I'll share it now because a number of you asked me. I'll share it now. Uh, I don't know for sure. There we go again. I got away with it. But it seems to me that it's some form of the fancy terminology as a pre-incarnate deity, Jesus. We know without a doubt it's a messenger because that's what an angel means. It's a messenger from God. Um, the angel of the Lord never makes an appearance in the New Testament. And if it is that form of... Jesus because Jesus is eternal Jesus wasn't created right we understand that um, the, the the picture here is beautiful where you have the angel of the Lord saying to Abraham do not do to your son which is what I know will happen to me at some point X thousand years later so it's kind of a Kind of a cool picture of the way that it works out, whether that be the case or not. Either way, it's a specific messenger that gives this command: "Don't lay your hand on it." But I think sometimes we get so caught up in the angel Lord, and I do too, because I get excited about that. Uh, is verse twelve? This was interesting to me. Uh, didn't God already know this? So how do we how do we uh, reconcile that? Because verse twelve says, uh, "I know that you fear God." Didn't God already know that? I think there's some play on some words there, but how would you make sense of that? You've proven your faith. You've proven yourself. That's the words I used. I don't need to look at my notes earlier. Nate and I called each other today. no. Uh, proof beyond measure. Not Eleazar, not Lot, not anybody else. Ishmael, I remember Eliezer and Lot were kind of uh, not heirs of Abraham, but perceivedly could have been made a claim to an heir by way of adoption or by way of a relationship that they had. Uh, I I think it's it's where God is saying to the Holy Spirit, indeed, absolutely, you have proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that you trust me. It's not that Abraham hadn't already proven that from Genesis 12, now 11 chapters later. It's just that it's being seen uh, bigger. Okay, we've got two minutes before we wrap up. I've got four quick observations. Any last minute comments, questions, concerns? All right. Uh, Number one. And I I didn't put these in the order in which we talked about them, but we have to trust God at His Word and never substitute our plans for His. Uh, That kind of goes back to what we talked about in Genesis chapter 16, but it's similar here where we have to realize that God's in control. I will trust Him to do what He wants, and I will put my trust in Him, not in this world, much like Lot and Mrs. Lot seem to do. Secondly, tell the truth and always trust God. Uh, You know, we talked about how these superheroes made their mistakes and had their sins and had their weaknesses. Uh, Abraham should have just said, here's the truth. She is my wife. Yeah, she's my half-sister, but she's my wife. Uh, We're married. And um, that should have probably been the case in in speaking it. Uh, Thirdly, the Lord always provides. Genesis chapter 22, we didn't even talk about I think it's verse 14, where Abraham called the name of the place, the Lord will provide, as it is said in this day in the mountain of the Lord, it shall be provided. And then last, we should never underestimate sin's power and influence on us and others. And it's interesting, when I when I created my my slides, I didn't I, I wrote this the last thing without remembering what I had written days earlier as the first point of the whole night. And remember the first point of the whole night was Sin has a way of influencing us in big, ugly ways. So we start with sin influences us badly, and we end with sin influences, influences us badly as well. All right. The bell has rung. The buzzer has sounded. We will take a break. Thank you all very much. Uh, 23 through 26 next week is our plan. Thank you all.